This is The Beat with Radia B, a conversation about the Charleston County Sheriff's Office in our community. Welcome to The Beat, hosted by Radia B. Today for our first episode, we have Sheriff Graziano, also known as Special K. Welcome, Special K. <laughs> Thank you, Radia. Thanks for bringing out the nickname first thing. <laughs> well, tell the viewers about yourself. Well, Radia, as you already know and the viewers may know, um, I am Kristen Graziano. I am a 33-year law enforcement veteran. And in November of this year, I was elected as the first sheriff in Charleston County, first woman ever elected in the state. And I am, uh, I've been in office since January. So I've been here about almost six months. Wow, that's awesome. So tell us something about unique about yourself. Unique. All right, give me some hints. Oh, <laughs> what is let's a, see. Uh, what do you want? It, what? Do, how unique do you want it? Mm, what about your entrepreneurship? Tell me. Tell me a little bit more, and tell the viewers a little bit more about your entrepreneurship skills. So, um, yeah. So when I finished high school and college, um, or before I finished college, I always wanted to be in business and make money. Um, I, you know, I I grew up uh, pretty 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 modest home and I <clears throat> was on my own at the age of 16 and I never wanted to be a statistic so I was always doing a little more to you know better myself so when I was very young or about the age of 18 right right after high school I um, had watched a, a video and had been educating myself on investment strategies one thing my grandmother always told me all you had is your credit uh, I didn't have a lot of money I had I had decent jobs and I was always making money uh, but I wanted to make more, so I um, had a dollar thirty-eight in my checking account, and I I bought a house uh, with a dollar thirty-eight in my wow, checking account incredible. because I had good credit, and I didn't live in that house but a day because by law I only had to spend one night. I ended up renting it out and um, making a lot more money, and every penny I made I invested in other properties, and and it just snowballed from there. But I ended up um, by the by the by the time I finished college, I, I think I had ten houses. Oh, that's and I didn't, incredible. I didn't pay for rent ever. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's awesome. That just shows a lot of great business acumen and leadership. So with that being said, what is your vision for Charleston County Sheriff Department? Tell us what's your vision based on those principles that you just gave. So, so Roddy, if you know anything about me, go big or go home. I mean, that that's just the way I am. I don't believe in thinking small, doing anything small. So my vision for this agency would be just like the vision I have for my life, be the best you can be, uh, the most well-rounded, best public safety um, department you can be in the country, and be something others strive to be, be the example. And that's what I want for this agency. As we're trying to recruit others to the Charleston County Sheriff Department, what would you um, give them or tell them or some thoughts or insights about before you begin this career in law enforcement? So I, I would tell you right now is the most exciting time to be in law enforcement because, uh, you know, what you see on the media does not portray who we are. What you see is a lot of bad things that are, that are out there. That's a very small percentage of what law enforcement is about or does. Uh, in fact, there's nothing worse. Uh, any cop will tell you, any decent cop will tell you the worst thing you can um, have is a bad cop among amongst you. So it's a great time to be a part of the the change that you want to see in this in this career there it's it's necessary look the statistics tell us that you know we haven't always done it right 
what we've done, what we've known, and what we've been trained to do. And now it's time to retrain and rethink how we do things. So uh, following that, we it's a great time to be in law enforcement because you can now be that change you want to see and that is necessary. And uh, it's, it's, it's exciting. That's great. That's great. And many leaders, they have at least three or four um, people who are very influential in their life. Can you give me uh, two or three? So I could tell you two specifically that stand out, and that was my great-grandmother and my grandmother. My great-grandmother, and bo- both were product of the Great Depression. Um, my great-grandmother was a short, stocky, hunched over. She was probably five feet um, tall. I learned how to can vegetables and, and make your garden grow. And um, we, we, we lived off the land. We lived off of, she had a small backyard, but there was never a shortage of food because uh, we, she, she believed in sustainability. When I needed food for the table, she'd, she'd say, go out to the, go to the cellar and get me whatever you want. Okra, green beans, whatever was out there, stewed tomatoes, made a lot of, lot, lot of spaghetti sauce. Uh, and also my grandmother, um, her daughter, my grandmother, pretty much raised me until I was 16 and then I went out on my own but uh you talk about a firecracker my grandmother taught me how to fish and I wouldn't let me off that boat until we had enough we had enough fish to to feed the the family and stock the freezer so um we lived we lived off the water we lived off the land they had a lot of money but we just didn't believe in in that we saved and penny pinched and they taught me some really good lessons and they always said your credit's all you have that's awesome. Pay that, your debt. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now tell me this. What's your favorite vegetable? I love all vegetables. I, I do. It's crazy. Everyone, I, I do. I, I, I would rather have a salad over a hamburger or I, I would rather have, you know, fresh vegetables out of the garden over, over potato chips. I, I just have never, I've never had a sweet tooth, which is kind of funny. I don't like ice cream. Um, and I love vegetables. I'll, I'll eat raw vegetables, carrots. I love carrots. Oh, wow. And I wow. like carrot juice, my mm. own carrot juice. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So if you could step in my shoes, what should I have asked you today? Oh, probably about my athletic career. Tell us more. <laughs> so I was, um, I was, uh, always pretty athletic. I was, a I was a competitive bodybuilder. I was, played rugby in college. I was um, on the first women's U.S. team in 1988, 89 and for rugby. And I, uh, I, hurt, I hurt my knee and I was going into the academy and, and I started cycling to rehab my knee because mm-hmm. I didn't want to go to the academy and flop. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be the best at what you do. Right. So I had to make sure I, I showed up even though I was in a little bit of pain. So I started uh, riding and I got really good at it and I started racing and within about six months i was on a racing circuit i was winning races and i was winning points it was a point system i didn't know about um and then i became um an amateur cyclist so for about the next six years i just dove into cycling and that's that's what i did so in 1996 uh the the two years leading up to 1996 i had enough um wins to qualify for the world games and i'd missed the olympic trial so I went to the World Games and because I was competing and went to the World Games in uh, Salt Lake City and uh, won five gold medals. Well, cool, but don't you, you have another part to that story. What about the straw? <laughs> the training to get there. Okay, yes. so um, 
Yeah, so when I when I learned that I was going to, to Salt Lake, I suspected I was going. I was one of the favorites to go. I suspected I was. I, I had asked um, a friend that, that was from that area, you know, what you know what is so different about Salt Lake? And they said, well, you cycle up to 3,250 feet, the top of Wintergreen Mountain. That's as high up as you go. When you land in Salt Lake City, you land at 4,000 feet. Really? Oh, so, my goodness. So you're 4,000 feet above sea level. So I'm a lot higher when I land, and I, that yet that's the highest I ever went was 3,200 feet. And I said, well, what does it feel like? And she said, well, it's like breathing through a straw. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, that let me try that. So so I tried it. I, uh, I is a, a, a 13% grade, three-mile climb. Um, it's a Cat 1 climb. It's one of the toughest climbs uh, for, for cyclists. And I started breathing through a straw. Well, I started with a long straw and I couldn't breathe. <laughs> so so I cut it and uh, I cut it to about in half. And I got about, I would say 250 feet before I almost passed out. Mm-hmm. And I'm still trying to grind it up the this mountain. I learned quickly to take the straw out when I couldn't breathe so I didn't pass out, put it back in, take it out. And I kept doing that and I would make a daily climb and eventually got to the point where I could breathe almost the whole way up uh, through that straw. And one of my friends that was on my team that was training with me also worked for University of Virginia Hospital. And she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to learn how to breathe through a straw so I don't flunk out in Salt Lake City. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to lose. And uh, she said, well, that's kind of unique. So she went back and and told her professor about it. And they did a story about it. And they said it was it was helping develop my lungs so I could actually operate with less oxygen. It's sort of what Lance Armstrong went through. When you think about it, he had all that radiation and stuff that he went through. Of course, we won't say the other things right, he did, right, but, right, right. but but they 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 can they attributed that to his uh, you know a lot of the therapies that he was going through, and he was able to function with less with less oxygen. So when I got to Salt Lake City, I was only scheduled to do three races, and the first one was my favorite. It was my climb. I'm a climber. I was a mountain goat, so I was uh, that was my first race, and I I blew it out of the water one gold medal the next two were so easy i signed up for two more and won two more gold medals wow that's that's great that's awesome you solved the problem you know you went outside of the box to think of how to solve the problem you didn't whine or complain you figured out a different way to handle the problem and that's a great 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 way of thinking and great as a leader um so and one of the questions that i would like to ask and just for our viewers is what was the biggest challenge you've had as your role as the sheriff of Charleston County, and how how are you planning on overcoming it? Aradi, in my day <laughs> that I walked in the door started out as a challenge because there was no transition. So I was elected in November. I didn't get here till January. There was no transition in between. Uh, but dealing with with all the things I dealt with, especially the first day, three hours after walking into the door, uh, the death of a resident at our detention center, the next day the insurrection. Um, not having that transition period from November to January with little support and uh, and then law enforcement under increased scrutiny um, around the country ending the 287G agreement which is huge and very controversial day one a very dear friend committed suicide on duty um, within two weeks mm-hmm. of that and uh, wearing my mourning badge my, you know when, when an officer dies we wear, we wear a mourning badge until they're buried, we didn't take it off. Our mourning badges off for three months. My first address to the troops was at a funeral. Mm-hmm. When your first official 
addressed to your troops. You don't even have time to get your feet on the ground. Is that a funeral? Mm-hmm. You, it, you've got to find a way to, to have the words to lift them up and say, this is not who we are. It's just what we're going through. Right. And uh, so all of those things were, were extremely challenging, not to mention, you know, my first phone call to a grieving family the next day, and then another phone call to two other grieving families that were uh, were impacted by an officer-involved accident that killed uh, two f- family members. Mm. So unraveling the wheels that were already set in motion with the detention center, the juvenile detention center, so that we could redesign that was all happening in between all that. So there was so much going on. At, at one time, it was hard to prioritize, but luckily, you know, we're quickly able to assemble a really good team and um and and deal with that but it's an ongoing process so it was challenging but it was not insurmount insurmountable at all thank you for your insight and uh, letting our viewers know you know just about you you know about your vision about you as a leader and how you bring about everybody in the organization to um create what you're what we are trying to create together collectively with the community with um, our employees and everybody together. So I commend you, kudos to that. Um, so if you had an extra $1 million in your budget, how would you spend that? Girl, I, I wish I had it. Um, I would easily take $200,000. I, I wanted to do this uh, before and I, I, I can't because um, the funds that were left over from uh, uh, an account that was closed at the detention center. I wanted to do this, but I wanted to take two hundred thousand dollars and set it aside for uh, community-based organizations that um, are dealing with ju- kids in sports. Two hundred thousand dollars and give them grant money. Five thousand dollar block wow. grant money for kids in sports, particularly in the summer, uh, to keep kids engaged. Right. To pay for everything. Right. I would take another two hundred thousand and use that towards um, youth. Um, transition um youth mm-hmm. transitioning out of either detention and into the community so that they have the support they need if if they're turned 18 they don't have a place to live there's a transitional housing budget so they can transition from uh from from a detention center to a housing and to a work right alternatives uh, program. to placement and detention correct and the other 600000 I think I would put back in my budget since the county council removed it from me <laughs> in my overtime budget. So that's uh, that's how I would spend it. I think the, the bulk of that, if we had extra money, it needs to go back to the community. There's no doubt. And so with all of that being said, especially with the $600,000 that the county has um, neglected out of the budget, how would you handle that? How would you change that? What so would you do? Just, just because the money's not there doesn't mean we can't manage ourselves. I mean, managing your budgets, I think that's part of the problem. I think the budget hasn't been managed over the years. And, um, you know, not too many people have an overtime budget like that. Uh, There's sometimes we can't, we can't help it. So natural disaster occurs and we have to have these manpower. We have to have mandatory overtime. We have shortages, sickness, um, you know, stuff happens. So we have to fill those spots. But um, I think if we manage throughout the year, uh, our budget and manage our overtime that that shouldn't be a, an, an issue to overcome in fact I would hope that we could save more than that and going back to the your uh, you mentioning in the budget about um, providing uh, services or programs regarding around sports for our uh, young juveniles and and just all over how um, I think that's 
awesome. Um, I don't think a lot of people look at sports they, as more than just the actual playing. It has a lot to do with emotional and mental. So talk to us a little bit about that, especially with you being, you know, a big bodybuilder and all that. How, well, so, did, how does that help? So I, I, I named two of the people that were most influential in my life. The third one w- would have been a coach, um, would, would have been my, my college uh, rugby coach, because she encouraged me no matter how hard it was. Like, like I didn't want to have debt. So I wanted to pay for everything as I went along. And she was thinking, that's not realistic. You need to invest in yourself. And you need to think of this as an investment in yourself. And she encouraged me to stay in school and to continue to invest in myself, which is what I did. That's what kept me um, focused. It's, it's being able to be around that team, that group of people, because I didn't have family. I didn't have a lot of the things that people would normally say, hey, make a phone call. Hey, I need 20 bucks. Can you give me 20 bucks for gas, mom? Right. No, I can't. Um, if I wanted to eat, I'd grow it or right. I'd go pick it. Um, but uh, I was I, I just learned I survived and I didn't have anybody to go to. I surrounded myself by people that wanted me to succeed. And she was one of those people. And at, I took from that. Uh, I'm a coach now. I coach the College of Charleston women's rugby team. And I have um, probably 80 girls that are my kids wow. uh, and that will be my kids forever. Right. And. I'm the person they can call now if they need need some help and advice. I'm not going to give them a handout. I'll give them a hand up, and and they know that about me. But uh, I just remember how influential it was in my life. I mean, I I couldn't have survived without that surrounding myself by those folks. Wow, wow, that's incredible. So tell us a little bit about your feelings about the juvenile, the new juvenile facility. You know, go into the mindset of what do you what do you hope to show our juvenile residents and others what this facility is more so about. And this is something I'm so excited about, you know that. I mean, I am, this I think is a huge accomplishment for us, for our team. We went into this uh, with them laying 1,100 brick a day and we were doing everything we could to stop the construction, not stop it, but to to listen to us, to redesign a facility. Because as you know, the, the, the facility that was uh, being built was correction based and we wanted rehabilitative based to offer more programming to offer more schooling and t- to offer alternatives to detention because we don't want kids to stay there we want them to transition from there into to other places in the community and be productive citizens so this was a huge huge task that was going on in that you know three or four right. months coming in uh, to get county council to approve uh, more funding so that we could build it correctly and right. don't make the same mistake we made at the detention center. And uh, that was a huge win. What we did is we went around the country uh, and we looked at three different places, two in particular, one in Eugene, Oregon, and the other one in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And we asked them, these are successful programs. If you could do something differently, what would you do? And we took all the information they gave us and we put it in our own wow. building. So we have a facility unlike any other we'll be able to offer all the wraparound services in-house and um and, and really transition these youth back into out of detention and back into the community and still have that support when they leave that's awesome continuum of care and that's what our young juveniles and it really everyone needs they need to have that support and those services so kudos to your team tell me we don't have the best chess team in charleston oh County. yes we do yes we do yes we do so with that being said i know you had to get to this point so you had to be a juvenile tell us something wild and crazy about yourself that we don't even know 
it wasn't when I was a juvenile. I mean, it's not wild and crazy. It's just stuff I do. So it was right here in Charleston. Uh, there were some uh, radio studios right off of Leeds Avenue. And one of my favorite artists, T.I., was in town. And it was 4 o'clock in the morning. And T.I., it was right before T.I. was being sent to prison. And he was coming in studio for an interview. And he was supposed to be in at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't get off till 6. So I'm I'm kind of stalking him a little bit because I love T.I. So... I, uh, I go over to the studio and I'm, I start knocking on the door and I'm ringing the bell and I know he's in there because they're like, T.I.'s in, yeah. in the studio. Right. <laughs> so um, I'm in uniform and I, the guy comes to the door and I was like, hey, what's up? He goes, can I help you, officer? I was like, I heard T.I. was here. And he said, he's not supposed to go to prison till like for another week. I was like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I said, no, I'm a big fan. Can I, can I come in? Can I, I just want to meet him. So they let me in and he's like, come on in. And I met T.I. and he was just the coolest kid. He was just, he just so I say kid. He's he looked young, right? Um, and he's like, next time I'm in town, I'm gonna hit you up so we can go have some gin. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. I gave him my number. He never called, but I was a little disappointed. Maybe he'll call me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are so great, appreciative, Sheriff Graziano, Special K for this first episode of The Beat. The Beat. The Beat. The Beat. But as The Beat continues, thank you viewers for giving us your time and allowing us in your space. Again, thanks again, and The Beat continues. Thank you. This has been The Beat, a conversation about the Charleston County Sheriff's Office in our community. I am Radia B., Look for future episodes by following the Charleston County Sheriff's Office on Facebook, YouTube, or wherever you go to get your podcasts.